0: Hi, Um, I'm Abby. For those of you guys who don't know me, I'm from Lakeside Christian Church. Um, Our Um, our church recently got the chance to go to Haiti for a week, and so I'm just going to kind of um, share some of that experience with you. We had a team of 13 people go, and um, that's our team right there. We were preparing to go to an orphanage, and six of them are actually here this week. So if you... um, want to know more about our trip after I'm done, feel free to talk to any of them. We all had a great time and would love to share anything with you. Um, But so what I'm going to share is about the orphanage, just two experiences that I had. And so we went to an orphanage um, on one of our days there, and it was not what I was expecting at all. I was expecting um, kind of something well-kept and well-put-together. And when we got there, it um, was just kind of like this home that... Um, wasn't really well taken care of, and was kind of just, like, seemed falling apart, and we got in, and these kids just ran up to us, and, um, you know, were dirty, and we just picked them up, and it was hard because we saw a lot of, like, pain and heartbreak that they were going through, and just the situations that they were living in, and um, there were, like, 12 kids living in this small building, and some of them had been sold by their parents, earn money, and some of them were just you know, orphans, and so it was really hard knowing that, like, I, um, like, I get to go back and I get to, like, leave and go home to a family and get to, like, live my life, and so that was, like, really hard and really, like, humbling, but we got the opportunity to share the gospel with these kids before we left, and, um, that's them before we shared the message, that's some of them there, and, um, so one of the things we, like, shared with them was the fact that, like, we brought them toys and stuff, and those toys are, like, eventually they'll break, and they can't use them anymore, and, like, we had to leave, and, you know, like, things were going to get hard. Times were going to get hard, but God was never going to leave them, and that was a huge lesson that I also um, just, like, really spoke to me was that, like, I put my trust in people, and I put my trust in things a lot, but those things are going to fail me, and those things um, aren't going to, like, last all the time, and I need to just completely, like, trust in God and just completely give my all to him and so that was a huge lesson for me that I learned even just from these kids and just seeing the joy that they had despite their situation um, was just very humbling and um, just I don't know I can't even describe it it was heartbreaking and joyful all at the same time just to experience that Um, and then my second experience that I'm going to share is about when we went to church on Sunday we went to this church called Village of Hope in a village community. Um, And so as we were driving in, it was about like an hour drive, we got to see just the homes that these people lived in and their community. And it was just another humbling experience. I got to like see the difference between where I live and where these people lived. And um, as we pulled up, we could hear them singing from the street. And it was the most beautiful sound ever. Like, it was just, I can't even describe it. It was just awesome. And um, so we walked in, and we went to the front of the church and sat down, and these people just kept singing. And um, we just took a minute, and we paused and realized that, like, I couldn't understand the songs they were singing, and they couldn't understand me. We couldn't speak the same language. But we were both praising the same God, and we were both um, united in that fact. And the language barrier was difficult, and at times I grew frustrated, but it was just something that reminded me that you know we're praising the same God and we're united, and um, so that was just a really big thing for me. And they were just giving their all to God, despite the situations they were in, despite um, the way they lived, the struggles, their hardships. They just gave everything they could in worship, and so that's just something I want to encourage you guys with: is just not to be afraid, to be not to be afraid, to be undignified in your worship, and to just give everything you have to God. It doesn't matter, like, how you look or, like, what you sound like or anything like that, but, like, despite your struggles, despite everything you're going through, God isn't going to leave you. He's not going to fail you. He will always be there. It might seem, like, hard, but we should find joy in our struggles, and we should find um, joy in the fact that He's always there, and just be willing to give our all to God. And so, like I said, if you guys want to learn any more about our Haiti trip we'd love to talk to you experience and
1: but this picture is from uh, just a few months ago on an incredibly rainy Sunday afternoon and this is my son Joshua just sleeping peacefully and when I saw him laying there I wanted to take a picture of it because I just said this is what rainy Sunday afternoons were made for this is rest this is is Sabbath right here, just completely at peace, his pacifier, not even in his mouth, he's so deep into sleep, it's off to the side and it doesn't disturb him at all. And what we're going to talk about tonight is rest, rest that is available to us now and forever, and to do that, we're going to go to Psalm 121. So if you haven't already, I invite you to open a Bible and to turn it to Psalm 121, And just two thoughts before we actually read the passage. One is that rest is what we need, but often can't get. Rest is what we need, but often can't get. If the doctors are telling us the truth, which we have every reason to believe, we're supposed to get eight hours of rest a day. In a 24-hour period, that means we're supposed to rest one hour for every two hours that we're awake. That there's actually something going on in our bodies while we're resting that is essential for our ability to then function and work. Those of you who are parents know that you can you can notice pretty quickly when the behavior of your child is directly connected to their lack of rest. And you can start to see a bit of a sharpness in attitude or an unwillingness to listen and you ask the question, did they miss their nap today? Did, did they not sleep long enough? And you, you notice immediately a change in their tone. It's true for us as adults. When we're tired, we become less patient. Uh, our, our mind struggles to remember things like we should when we don't get the rest that we need. But even when we're resting and it looks like we're doing nothing, our bodies are doing something. And even for me, as I was just looking down on Joshua, I was amazed that, Yeah, he needs this to grow, to develop. There's so much in his brain chemistry that's happening while he's sleeping in his body that apart from sleep, he would not grow. Rest is something that we all need. Our ability to function well is directly connected to how well we rest. But most of us would say we probably don't get the kind of rest that the doctors prescribe. More often than not, we get less, and so we're functioning on an empty tank. Another point is that rest is what Christ offers us, but we often neglect it. It was Jesus who said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, And if we took a poll of most of us who believe in Jesus and who follow him, if we were to describe our spiritual lives, I think it would be a small minority of us who would say, we feel like it's very restful. We feel like his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so that's part of what we want to reflect on. He offers it to us. It was one of the things that he said to those who would listen to him, that anyone who... Labors and is heavy laden, anyone who is weary can find rest in him. So, how do we enjoy and experience this rest that he offers to each and every one of us? And I think part of the key to that is here in Psalm 121. So, now we'll read it together Psalm 121 I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen? That's Psalm 121. If you're looking at your Bible, you'll notice that before verse one, there's kind of a notation, and it might say different things in our Bibles, but it's considered part of a collection of Psalms known as a Psalm of Ascent, Sometimes in older language and translations, they're referred to as pilgrim songs. But these are beginning in Psalm 120 and then going through Psalm 134. There's a collection of psalms that the people of Israel would have read when they were traveling from wherever they lived to go back to Jerusalem for festival time. And from whichever direction they were coming, when they got to Jerusalem, they then began to ascend up to the city. And so there are psalms of ascent, psalms that they would read on the journey back to Jerusalem. And then even in Jerusalem, the priests would read and recite these psalms as they walked up the steps into the temple. But it's literally what they're describing. These were psalms as they were traveling to Jerusalem or as the priests were traveling up the steps into the temple. And so where it begins is not in Psalm 121, but in Psalm 120. And if we look in Psalm 120, verses five and seven, you'll see that there's a, a very different tone than Psalm 121. The psalmist in Psalm 120 says, "'Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshek, "'that I dwell among the tents of Cater. "'Too long have I had my dwelling "'among those who hate peace.'" I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So the psalmist's attitude here that everyone would have recited in their traveling to Jerusalem in verse five was, woe to me. That if they looked around at their circumstances and their situations, there was a lot to be afraid of. There was a lot to be discouraged by. And so the first verse says, in my distress, I called out to you. There's a lot of danger that they were experiencing. And then, as they would have traveled from wherever their home was to Jerusalem, there was plenty of danger that they would have encountered along the way. I mean, we've experienced dangers just in traveling to camp. Sometimes trailers don't stay on the vans like they're supposed to. (laughs) And it gets scary, really, really scary for a moment, even today. But back then, when there wasn't a hotel you could stop at, there wasn't a cell phone you could pull out and call someone, when you left for a journey, you really didn't know if you would see certain people again. You might be gone for months at a time. And a few months is a lot of time in someone's life where things could be totally different in the life of someone you knew by the time you got back. And so, not just where they lived was their danger, but even as they traveled, there was danger all along the way. So that any of these people of God would not have found rest if they were looking at their circumstances or their situation. If they were looking around honestly, they would have stayed in Psalm 120 and therefore concluded, woe is me. This this could get scary fast. Don't you realize what could happen if, if this goes wrong or if this goes wrong or this person doesn't show up or if we lose this? But thank goodness, there's Psalm 121. And so there's a shift in perspective from looking around at the circumstances and the situation. When Psalm 21 begins, the person then says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where, my, where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's a total different shift in focus from looking down and looking around at everything to looking now up and saying if I'm gonna find rest, if I'm gonna find peace, a sense of security, I'm only gonna do it if I find it in something other than my circumstances or my situation. And this is one of the key differences between what we believe as Christians and often what the world presents to us we're more often than not told by our world that the problems in our world are outside of us and the solution to them is inside of us. So that your primary problem and my primary problem is where we came from or how people treated us or what other people are trying to do to us. And if those people could just start behaving, then we'd be better off. And the way to find peace, the way to find rest is to look inside ourselves and to Think about what really makes you happy. And when you discover inside yourself what makes you happy, just go for it. And then that's how you'll find rest. And the Bible presents the situation completely differently. It says, for you and for me, the primary problem that we have to deal with is inside of us. Our own thoughts, our own temptations, our own struggles. And sure, there's plenty of challenges outside of us. But if we identify that the primary problem is inside of us, the gospel tells us the solution is outside of us. That we need to look to someone else for help. We need to look to someone else for salvation. If we look only inside of us, we're gonna find more reason to despair, more reason to be discouraged, more reason to doubt. It's only when we lift our eyes up and look for help from somewhere else that we can even begin to experience the type of rest that we need. And so I found this C.S. Lewis quote really helpful when he he describes why pride in the Bible is considered such a great sin. This is what C.S. Lewis said. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. As long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And that's why throughout the scriptures, pride is considered one of the greatest sins. Pride, the sin of Satan that made him fall. Pride in Adam and Eve that they thought they could do it their own way and not God's way. That pride was the sin that led to all other sins that we don't quite think of as bad or is dangerous and we think is actually a good thing that we encourage sometimes but when we understand it in this light that our primary problem is inside of us and we need to seek a solution outside of us then it's pride that will keep us from lifting our eyes up to the hills and instead we'll just try harder we'll, we'll do more and more and we won't find rest for our souls but here the psalmist lifts up his eyes And so then the question, though, is what does he see? When we lift up our eyes, what is it that comes into focus? And he says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When he's looking up, what he sees is the maker of heaven and earth. This draws back to the language of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When when he looks up, he sees the God who made everything heaven and earth and everything above it and below it and in it and anything that's happened on it that he is the sovereign god who made all of it he is the god who knows all of the unknowns he knows all of the what ifs he knows all of the maybes because he designed it he's over it there's nothing that happens in heaven or on earth that catches him off guard or by surprise and so, so many things that cause anxiety in our hearts or guilt in our mind are questions of what if? Well, what if I just would have done this? Or what if this would have happened? And, and, and what if this happens tomorrow? And we don't know the answers to those questions. And we never will know the answers to those questions. But the psalmist looks up and he sees God, the maker of heaven and earth, and he's looking at someone who knows everything that you and I don't know the god who is over it all and sovereign and in such an amazing way he says this god who is the lord of heaven and earth is my helper it's 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 a contrast the god who is up there and big and sovereign and powerful over everything and my helper almost the language in the garden when adam needed a helper suitable for him Someone right next to him, someone that would do life with him, someone that would be alongside of him for every situation as a helper. And he says, The Lord of heaven and earth, when I look up, that is my helper. I can draw my help, my assistance from him. I can remember growing up all the time, we would, uh, I'm one of four. Children, So I've got three siblings, two girls and then two boys. We'd always play soccer together in the backyard and three of us were athletic and one sibling wasn't. And I won't tell you which one. Most of you don't know her, but um, so we would usually not include her anytime we would play games because she didn't want to, she wanted to do something else and so we would play other things. So my dad would kind of pick up that on that though and so if he ever came out and joined the game, what he would do is say, she's on my team against you three. And then we'd play the game. And they'd beat us every time. Because it wasn't as much what she could do or not do, whether she enjoyed the game or not, she was an expert at kicking your ankles, but she had on her team someone who had within himself everything he needed to take care of the three of us. And so putting them together on a team made them a dynamic. And the Bible says that the maker of heaven and earth, that you and I can come to know him and understand him as our helper, that everything that he knows and all of the resources that he has are available to us, not within us, but in relationship with him. That if we know him, if we love him, and if we serve him, then we can experience his presence with us at all times. And then the word that is repeated for the rest of the psalm Several times, and your translation might use different words, but the better ones keep it the same word because it's the same Hebrew word, the word keeper again and again and again. He will keep me. He will keep me. He is my keeper. He will keep me from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And that's good news as well, that the very one who saved us and brought us into his family is the one who says and takes the responsibility to keep us in his family. To keep us a part of his kingdom. To keep us going on the way. Because sometimes it's actually the better experiences in our life that cause a lot of anxiety because we're like, oh, I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> this is like going really good and I don't want to mess this up. And we, we get anxiety over good things in that way. And just like we could do nothing to save ourselves, We can do nothing to keep ourselves ultimately and we're dependent upon the maker of heaven and earth to not only save us but to keep us and the promise here is that he will do it. He will keep us. In daytime and in nighttime, from all evil, he will keep our lives, our going in, from the time of our birth to our going out. In any period of transition in our lives, whether you're coming here and you've had the worst year of your life or you're coming here and you've had one of the better years of your life, that he is sufficient for you and he will keep you. Whatever your experience, whatever your situation, that's his promise, There's also something in this language, though, that for any of the people of Israel, it would have triggered in their minds an Old Testament story, and it's in Genesis 28. And so if you still have your Bible open, turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. To where God made a specific promise to someone that he would keep him no matter what. His name is Jacob, and this is Exodus chapter 28, and we're gonna pick it up in verse... 10 Jacob where he is in his story is he had just swindled a blessing from his father from his brother Esau and everything came out into the light and he was told that he had to leave home was no longer safe for him and he had to run and so here's Jacob on the run verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So here God comes to him in a dramatic dream and says to him in what is some of his darker moments when he's now on the run and home is no longer a safe place for him, God comes to him and says, I will keep you. Wherever you go, wherever you end up, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a promise to you that I will keep your life. So that if we now hear Psalm 121 in light of Jacob's life, we're saved from drawing a couple of bad conclusions. That if we read Psalm 121 and we read it to say, nothing bad will ever happen to us if God is with us. If God promises to keep us, what that means is that nothing bad will ever happen. Well, that's not how it works in Jacob's life because it's right after this event that he ends up accidentally marrying someone that he didn't want to marry that he gets tricked into marrying someone. He doesn't run away from that, he, he accepts the vow that he made, he stays married to her, but someone that he had loved and desired to get married to was now not his wife. So what he ends up doing is getting married again, and he has two wives, and the rest of his life bears out this awkward dynamic between the families when multiple people are involved, and kids from different mothers, and they're not all on the same page, and they're not trying to work hard to necessarily become a unit, and there's all kinds of conflict that arises. And so this promise that God would keep him in every situation did not mean that bad things did not happen to him. Eventually, he wanted to come home, but he knew that he'd have to confront Esau, his brother, whom he'd stolen the blessing from. And even though he had this promise from God that God would keep him, there's a story of him having to wrestle with God and say, promise to me again that you're really gonna keep me. That this isn't gonna be the end of me. And God makes a promise to him. And his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. And then in the course of his life is Israel who then has 12 sons. He thinks he loses one of his sons. What he doesn't know is that it's worse. It's some of his own siblings that have conspired together against one of their brothers whom they were jealous of and they come to him and say, your son is dead some of his other sons lost their children so he knew what it was like to be a grandparent who lost grandchildren the wife that he loved and desired she passed away in his lifetime and he experienced decades of difficulty decades of struggle decades of not knowing what was gonna happen. Then where he lived, a famine took place that they thought the whole family was gonna be lost. And eventually what they discover is that there is food, it is in Egypt, and the son that he thought he lost is in Egypt, his name is Joseph, he's in charge, but the whole family, in order to find safety, has to leave Egypt, and, or has to leave Israel, the land of Canaan, and go... Egypt, and here again, we don't know how often he was reflecting on this promise of God, but God kept his promise to him in all of those situations, that in spite of the loss of a child, in spite of the loss of grandchildren, in spite of the loss of his wife, in spite of the difficulty, he had a daughter who was raped. He experienced tremendous pain and evil, but in every single one of those situations, he knew and could rely on God, not being removed from it, not being distant from it, but being right there in his midst, available to him as his helper and his keeper. So that when so many different ways he could have fallen off the edge, he stayed. And no amount of tragedy or pain in his life ultimately meant that he did not experience the promise that God had for him. And then the story is told that he asked that when he died, his body would be carried by his children and not be placed in Egypt, but taken back to the land of Canaan. And there again, a journey back to the promised land. His way of making sure that everyone knew that even death itself Was not a barrier to God keeping the promise that he made. But that the God who is the maker of heaven and earth, it was his helper and his keeper. When he makes a promise, he keeps a promise. This is what Jesus ended up saying to one of his disciples, Peter. He went to Peter and he said, Peter, what you don't know is that Satan has desired to have you, and he desires to sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you that you would not fail, that you would not fall. Here in the language of Psalm 121, when he says he will not let your foot be moved for much of this journey, they would have been walking on the types of terrain that if your foot slipped, your whole body went down. And so you wanted to be very careful as you were walking not to slip. And that's the promise that he's saying is that no ultimate failure on your part, no struggle, no sin, nothing will ultimately keep you away from me because just like I saved you, I promise I'm going to keep you. And that's the good news that Paul shares with the congregation in Philippians when he says he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the end. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon reflecting on Psalm 121. He says, God is the soul keeper of the soul. Our soul is kept from the dominion of sin, the infection of error, the crush of despondency, the puffing up of pride, kept from the world, the flesh and the devil, kept for holier and greater things, kept in the love of God, kept unto the eternal kingdom and glory. What can harm a soul that is kept of the Lord? And the answer is nothing. Psalm 121 is sort of the Old Testament equivalent of Romans chapter 8. We don't have time to read it all from verse 28 to 37, but it's in Romans 8 where it says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But here's the conviction of faith. to you and to me, that just like the sun was willing to do whatever it required, going all the way to the point of death on a cross so that you and I could be saved, so now God is working through his spirit in your heart and mind so that no experience that comes our way, the sun, the moon, the shade, whether it's tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, none of those things, even put all together, can take us out of his hands. And if we can come by faith to believe that, that the maker of heaven and earth is our helper and our keeper, then we can experience rest. That because the maker of heaven and earth is our helper and our keeper, we can find rest for our souls now and forever. Because the maker of heaven and earth is our helper and keeper, we can find rest for our souls now and forever. And if you hear that and you think about it and say, but I'm still in Psalm 120, I'm still looking around and saying, woe is me. I see the dangers that lie ahead. I see the temptations that are around me. I see the things that other people struggle through. And so I struggle to lift my eyes up. I struggle to find this rest. Well, again, don't fall into the same trap by looking within and just trying harder. (laughs) This is faith that comes from God to believe in him. So that all that he desires from you and me is to just acknowledge I don't have that kind of a faith. I still am anxious, I still get scared, I still wonder what if, I still feel guilty. And so then our prayer is if we're in that place in Psalm 120 still crying out woe is me that we would look up and ask him, ask him to give us the faith that we need to find the rest that he offers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are thankful that it's not up to us to save ourselves and that it is not ultimately up to us to be smart enough or good enough or to work hard enough to keep ourselves That when we're honest on our best days, we still struggle with so much sin, so much temptation, so much discouragement, so much despair. And that if it rested on our shoulders and if it was up to us, we can never find rest. But Father, we want to be the kind of people that can worship you in every situation that can look up to you for our help, for our comfort, for our source of praise, no matter what we've experienced. That we would look to you and realize that you alone have the words of eternal life. If we run from you, none of our problems go away. None of our struggles go away when we wander away from you. And so we pray that any struggle, any experience of pain or loss that we've had, that it wouldn't draw us away from you, but would only draw us closer to you. And that we would look to you as our helper and our keeper. And that we would praise you for the great work that you will do. That what you've begun in us, you will complete. In your son's name we pray, amen.